You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. It's like the Wright brothers flying their first airplane. You know, the question of whether humanity could fly is settled, and we forget that it was ever controversial. That's so crazy. You're so right. Like, the aliens are going to come, and we're going to be like, what are you talking about? This is so normal. We are welcoming Mitch Horowitz, historian of alternative spirituality. Thank you so much for being here. Kesha, thank you. Delighted to be here. <laughs> I have so many questions for you, like about spiritualism versus spirituality. But my first question to all my guests is, do you believe in the supernatural? Oh, absolutely. There's no question in my mind that all of us lead both a physical and an extra-physical existence. And the fact is, in our generation, we have proof of extra-physical existence in fields like neuroplasticity and psychical research and quantum theory. We understand there are things going on around us that go beyond just flesh and bone and motor function. We have testimony to that effect for centuries, but nowadays there's no getting around it. We all have an extra-physical life. So when you say extra physical, is that like metaphysical or is that spiritual? Or like, what are you exactly referring to? Like a spirit? Like we all have a spirit? Extra physical is just my way of referring to spirituality, whether someone believes in deity or not. Uh, there are 
anomalous transfers of information in our world, what we might call ESP. Uh, we feel things, we intuit things, we receive information in ways that go beyond the five senses. And if one accepts that, then it also gets us into fields like neuroplasticity, where we see thoughts affecting brain matter. We actually have evidence, clinical evidence. So wait, of what is that? What's mind over neuro Plasticity. Neuroplasticity is a field. I don't know what that is. Oh, it's developed in about the last twenty years or so. It's a field in which brain scans demonstrate that your sustained thoughts actually alter the neural pathways through which electrical impulses travel in your brain. Your thoughts change your brain matter. It's literally mind over matter on the molecular level. So that's just another way in which. It's demonstrable that our thoughts make things happen, that we have an existence that goes beyond the physical or beyond the five senses. So when people say, what do you mean by spirituality? I always say, I mean the extra physical. If it could be demonstrated that we human beings all have an extra physical existence, then it stands to reason that we have a life that goes beyond the seen. And then it raises questions about the spirit world, the unseen world, deities, energies. That to me is spirituality. And yeah, and the afterlife too is something that I'm For fascinated sure. by. I think it's maybe like, I mean, what human isn't a little bit fascinated by death. It's one of the only things, if not the only thing we're promised in life. So I'm super fascinated with what you think happens, like according to science and scientific backing, like has anybody come up with what happens after death? It is being no. studied. <laughs> Nobody's come up with anything definite. <laughs> no, nobody and, knows yet, right? And, and we may never, you know, that just may not ever be given to us to know. But people are engaged in all kinds of studies, including right now, into uh, afterlife survival, extra physical survival. It's such a question, you know, I mean, dig this. If I would say probably since about the 1930s, through serious clinical experiments, we've been able to prove in laboratory settings that certain people can transfer information to other people in ways that go beyond the five senses. So we typically call that ESP. And we have this evidence dead to rights. It's statistical evidence as good as any, in fact, better than any, you know, in terms of most of the stats that we have proving the effectiveness of pharmaceuticals or what have you. So we have that evidence. And in truth, I would say it's controversial, but it's been so heavily reviewed that it's dead to rights real. If you can accept that, if you can accept that we have evidence that shows that our minds can do things that go beyond the five senses, from there, it's really just a degree of difference to drawing some kind of conclusions about after-death survival or the existence of what we might call a spirit or a psyche that goes beyond the physical or an afterlife. You know, I mean, once you've proven that we can do things that go beyond the five senses or the physical, it stands to reason that there's a whole world out there, whether it's interdimensional or afterlife or whatever one wants to call it, that's real and that's concrete. Because I feel that way. Like, I feel like I have a spirit and a soul and a consciousness that is more than just my physical self. But I also think it's such a personal 
feeling like I, and I'm yeah. so aware that everyone has their own connection to whatever it is or no connection at all. And I'm good friends with a ton of goths and atheists and also very spiritual people because I'm from the South. So I've been surrounded by people of all different kinds of thought. So I just have been absorbing it all and realizing that I think we all have this quest to know. And I think in reading what you wrote on Ouija boards and like kind of the the psychology behind how a Ouija board, which I want you to explain because I'll probably butcher the research you've done, but how a Ouija board can actually just give you almost more insight into your subconscious. Sure. Everybody seems to have a scary Ouija board story. And, you know, no one has a theory of what's happening when you use the Ouija board. Uh, You know, there have been studies done, but nothing conclusive that shows there's some sort of psychokinetic activity going on where we're moving the point to ourselves without being aware of it. And let's say that's what's happening. If that's what's occurring, it raises the question of what weird dimensions exist within our own subconscious, because people glean things through the board that sometimes can be very threatening, sometimes can be very unsettling, sometimes can be quite fascinating. There have been a whole Pulitzer-winning works of poetry channeled through Ouija boards. Literally, I'm referring to the poet James Merrill. There have been religions, entire religions, that have come through Ouija boards. The third most popular religion in the nation of Vietnam is called Kaudaism, and it ranks third behind Buddhism and Catholicism as the most popular religion in the nation. That came through a Ouija board in the early 20th century. So if it is our subconscious that we're channeling, so to speak, raises the question of what wild folds and dimensions exist within our own subconscious. I have been fascinated with the idea of multiple dimensions, right? I mean, it's really interesting, especially during quarantine and all of this. I've really felt like, are we, is this a simulation of a simulation? Am I in the matrix? I don't understand. Like what, how many dimensions are there and how many dimensions can the human brain really comprehend? Because I've read different numbers everywhere and I didn't know if you know the answer to that, to be honest. Well, you know, there's probably good reason to believe, and it's really, it's probably impossible for us to perceive, but there's good reason to believe that different dimensions and different realities are infinite, are going on all around us. We experience linear time. You know, we say, well, I have to be somewhere at three o'clock, and that's helpful for us. That's kind of a necessary illusion. But the fact is, if one follows the ideas that are coming out of quantum theory, for example, and this goes back 70, 80 years, you know, it stands to reason that when someone takes a measurement in a particle lab, the time and the place and the decision to take that measurement determines what's going to show up. Because on a very, very micro level, particles occupy an infinite number of positions. They're in a wave state. And it's only when somebody takes a measurement that they collapse into a local or particle state, that they actually appear, that they're actually really there. And so if that's true, then at least on the particle level, reality doesn't exist until you decide to take a measurement. And I would submit that we're doing this all the time. Like what are our our senses, taste, touch, smell, hearing? What are they but instruments that take measurements? So when we turn our perspective to something, when we make a decision or direct our attention to something, we're taking a measurement. It stands to reason that 
any infinite number of things are possible and are going on and are real and potential, but there's only certain ones that we measure that we pay attention to. So we could call that interdimensionality and there's counter-realities, infinite counter-realities going on all around us, but we don't sense them. We don't sense them. We sense this one reality, this one moment, this one period of time, but they're real and they're infinite. I just think that we don't have the sensory material to take them all in. That's so much information that I'm trying to <laughs> comprehend, but it's kind of blowing my mind because even just looking at looking at a situation from my perspective versus if caught on camera is so drastically different sometimes that even just seeing how that perspective shift can make a reality be a non-reality. So for me, that's blown my mind as someone who's been on camera a lot of my life where it seems to be one thing and then it looks like a totally different thing. And I just realized that we all have a unique perspective and I don't know. I just like, don't know if there are any real infinite truths because everyone has such a unique perspective in the way that their life has gone also shapes that perspective and it shapes the stories we tell ourselves. And how can we really ever know if we're seeing the same thing, the same reality as somebody else? We can try to explain it in words, but those are also man-made. It's though that's beautifully put. That's beautifully put. You know, it's funny. Um, in the early 20th century, the philosopher William James made the observation that when a mystic looks at something, when somebody who's really spiritually sensitive or psychologically tuned in looks at something, it's as if that person is looking at it under a microscope and gains all kinds of information. So if I look at a drop of water, it's just a drop of water. But if I put it under a microscope, there's bacteria and different organisms and cellular matter and all kinds of things going on within that little drop of water. But as I pan back and pan back, I get less and less information about what's really going on. And it's possible, it's possible that that's exactly what's going on all the time with our senses. That if you measure things in a particle lab or if you measure things with a super powerful telescope, you see all these amazing things happening in the world around us, things that bend reality, things that are out of sync with our normal physical boundaries. But then... In the same way, when we pull the camera back, there's a kind of information leakage and we we see less and less of what's going on. So the truth is we live in this really weird world. And when people talk about ghosts or intuition or ESP or near-death experiences, to my mind, that should all be taken really seriously because they may be having experiences in moments of really deep, deep sensitivity that have something to teach us and have something to tell us, you know, and to dismiss that is the equivalent of dismissing a microscope because I don't happen to have a microscope around right now. So, you know, I could take the position, well, that's all nonsense. Sure, I've heard about it, but, you know, that can't be proven to me in the moment, so I don't buy it. What those people are providing us with is a record of testimony. And science, in a certain way, is validating a lot of what they're saying nowadays. It's just that it's not neat. It's it's messy. But we really need to listen to one another. We really need to listen to one another's experiences because what people are experiencing may be these moments where they're gleaning really unique pieces of information. And yet sometimes those things are getting dismissed. They're told, oh, it's just delusional or what have you. And I think something more than that is happening. From BBC Radio 4. 
Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Being a spiritual person is one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you. The spiritualism and how America became the birthplace, really, of alternative spirituality and spiritualism is something I've just been diving into the past year. And do you do you have a reason on why you think America was the place that this happened in the time that it happened? Is it just because we discovered a new land and it like blew all of our minds so we came here and realized there was something bigger than ourselves? So everyone just started becoming more and more spiritual or do you think it had to do with like coinciding with world events that are traumatic or both or something entirely else? It, 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 it may be both, you know, it, I mean, going back to the early, even the 1600s, the, the U S colonies were considered a safe Harbor for people with radical religious beliefs. And it's kind of ironic and it's bitterly ironic in a way because slavery was going on, the Native American culture was being destroyed, and yet at the same time, there was a relative 
degree of religious freedom in the U.S. colonies that was unknown in the old world and in many other parts of the world. And so word went out fairly quickly that people who were being persecuted for their religious beliefs in Europe, if they made the dangerous journey across the Atlantic, could reach this so-called new world where they had an opportunity to practice their beliefs without harassment. And a lot of people did that. So there's a lot of different sects like the Shakers that came here from England, uh, all kinds of different mystical groups that came here from Central Europe that were experiencing persecution that were able to be left relatively unharassed uh, in the New World. And this proceeded- I was going to say, were they unharassed? Because I remember the Salem witch trials. Like as soon as Mm -hmm. you said that, I was like, has, I know we're- founded in America as a place for religious freedom and that to be protected. Do you think that's been upheld? Well, dig this. You know, what's interesting about Salem, the the Salem witch trials in which dozens of people were killed in brutal mob violence played out in the 1690s. And as horrible as that was, and as tragic as that was, it did not really repeat in the same way that it did in Europe. In Europe, the witch craze and witch trials went on for centuries and centuries, and they occurred all over Europe, Central Europe, Western Europe, Eastern Europe. They went right up and through you know, the late 1700s. The last witch trial was in Switzerland, and that's well into what we think of as the Age of Enlightenment. And in the United yeah. States, while there was mob violence and there was harassment, The events of Salem, that kind of mass mob psychology in which people were targeted for witchcraft, didn't really continue. You know, it was it was it was an anomaly. And that's one of the remarkable things about American history. There were a lot of crimes and there were a lot of tragedies and there was definitely mob violence. But that kind of religiously based mob violence, those witch crazes, those witch trials, they went on for centuries in Europe. And that didn't quite repeat in the United States. Interesting. As like a woman who loves alternative thought and different performing like rituals and speaking openly about kind of um, maybe stranger spirituality and just being more open than picking a specific religion. I do feel like obviously I haven't been burned at the stake. But I have done a past life regression where Mm -hmm. I was told that in a past life I was burned at the stake for being a woman with an opinion that differed from the opinion of the men that were in charge. And I like ever since that, I feel like this camaraderie with just women who speak their mind, because I still feel like there are a lot of women, even in the music business, where if we say something that's a little wacky, it's like we're just deemed crazy, which granted we're not being burned at the stake, but I do think we're being burned in the media and I've experienced that for a decade. So I still kind of see, and I've spoken to people on the podcast, like the leader of the satanic temple Mm -hmm. and his work, I don't know if you're familiar with their work. But sure, of course. Making, yeah, making sure that religion really is separate to politics here, I think is just so important. And I think, especially over the past like year and a half, just seeing what's happened politically, I do think there is religion intertwined with our politics, whether we like it or not. It just yes. is. Yes. And I'm not really sure what the solution to that is, because I think people 
need religion the same way I need spirituality, but they really are supposed to be kept separate. And I don't know. I don't know why I'm, I'm just ranting, really. <laughs> no, there's a lot. To, this is important. And there's a lot to unpack there. You know, first of all, the thing I love about the Satanic Temple is other people just talk about free expression. They're actually doing things. You know, they're using the legal system in ways that it was intended to be used to defend free expression. And that is good for everybody. So I, I have to. Yeah. So I have to give, you know, very, very serious applause to them for what they're doing. Now, what you were saying is so important that if people say something that's considered outside the ordinary or outside the box, especially women, and this has historically been true, uh, they're persecuted, they are talked down, they are made to feel humiliated or what have you. And one of the things I often tell people is that when people speculate about conspiracy theories and these powerful groups doing dark occult rituals and things like that, the people who pay for that kind of talk are not the rich and powerful folk. They're the helpless folk. They're the local librarian who wears a pentagram and never did anything to anybody. And people start saying, oh, she's a witch. We ought to consider whether we want to renew her employment contract or, you know, yeah. the local school teacher, you know, who, who dabbles in the occult who's never heard a soul, who everybody can count on, but suddenly is the topic of rumors and whisper campaigns and so forth. So, you know, I think that when we get into conspiracy theorizing, very often what happens is that's really man's perpetual search for a hidden enemy. And that enemy is almost always found among the helpless, very frequently among outsiders, very frequently among goth kids or people who might be deemed to be like a little like outside the fold, very often against women. That's been historically true with the witch trials. So it's regular people, people who have never hurt anyone, innocent outsiders who pay the price for that kind of talk, which is why I want people to be really careful with it. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's just, I think it's just so personal and it's also really important to be open like you were saying, there are so many people studying this stuff like ESP and telepathy and certain things that are slowly being scientifically proven to exist. And even just certain therapies that are used and they just sound so hippy dippy and like <laughs> kind of crazy. But from personal experience, I've had personal experience where it's been really helpful and really spiritually enlightening. So I don't know how to explain it really, but I have felt it and seen it in myself. And so I know it's real because I felt it myself. And I feel like I just want to give, um, I don't know. I just want to give a voice to the stuff that I don't understand. And I was reading about in your book, I was reading about the universal friend Oh, which yeah. I found really fascinating, like yeah. loved them. And <laughs> I didn't quite like understand where that ended. Did it, can you tell our listeners about the universal friend? Sure. You know, I was wondering if that was going to come up. I'm really delighted <laughs> you, you, you raised the, that. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people have, have said to me, oh, I love the chapter about the universal friend. So, Dig this. The universal friend was a young woman named Jemima Wilkinson who grew up in Rhode Island in a Quaker household around the time of the Revolutionary War. And Jemima was sick 
with uh, typhus fever, and she fell into a kind of coma, and her parents thought she was going to die. She was about 24 years old. And they were sitting in vigil at her deathbed, and this was just at the dawn of the Revolutionary War. And everybody thinks, well, Jemima is, is going to be gone any, any day now. And suddenly one day she springs up from the bed, all healthy and, and bright and ruddy looking. And she says, the woman that you know as Jemima has died and the woman now standing before you will only be addressed as the public universal friend. And I am an avatar of the great beyond, an avatar of great creation. And Jemima goes out and she starts giving talks around the nation in New York State, in Rhode Island, in New Jersey, in Philly. And she's one of the only people, literally, who's capable of crossing uh, military lines between British troops and, and, and U.S. troops or colonial troops during the Revolutionary War. And the thing that's extraordinary about Jemima is most people had never seen a woman even speak in public before, much less delivers sermons and speeches. And so she's this supernatural being, this kind of channeler, who's identifying herself as the public universal friend, traveling around the Northeast, giving talks. And people are shocked because they've never seen a woman in a role of religious leadership before. And it, it, it's probably safe to say that in addition to Mother Ann Lee, the founder of the Shakers, Jemima was probably the first female religious leader in modern life. And she was a supernatural figure, or she made those claims. And her followers built a mansion for her in upstate New York, in central New York State. It's still there. It's in a town called Jerusalem, which they named Jerusalem because they felt oh, wow. that, that, yeah, she was this new prophet. <laughs> and they wanted to properly house this avatar, this prophet, this channeler. And that mansion is still there. And uh, she died in 1819, but her followers did a lot to settle central New York State. And she did a lot to acclimate the nation to the idea that a woman could be a religious leader. So people don't remember the name. A lot of these figures have been forgotten, but their legacy is in the movements that they instigated. And she was probably the, the first really prominent female religious figure in American life and in all of modern life. I loved reading about her and I was just so surprised I'd never heard of her before. Yeah. Like she seemed like such a badass in that name. I'm <laughs> I'm a sucker for a flashy name, but the public universal friend. That's so good. <laughs> it's a trip, right? Damn. She is <laughs> yeah. so cool. I'm going to read more about her. She's a badass. She's like one of my yeah. new heroes. <laughs> but so is that is where she did her sermons and her spiritual teachings, is that part of the psychic highway? Yes. The psychic highway is a carriage path that stretched through central New York State uh, in, the, in the first part of, of, of the, the, the 1800s. And today it's U.S. Route 20. It's the, actually the longest continual road in America. It goes from from Boston to Eugene, Oregon. It's the longest uninterrupted oh, wow. road in the United States. But back in the day, it was just a little carriage path that ran through central New York State in, in, the, um, in the early uh, 1800s. 
And it's been called the Psychic Highway because that's the place, that's the area where all these new religions spread out from. That's where the public universal friend was active. That was the birthplace of new religions like Mormonism and Seventh-day Adventism. That was the birthplace of uh, the suffragist movement. That was the birthplace of spiritualism and seances. There was so much going on in central New York State. It was just incredible. And nobody assumes that. You know, if you ask people, well, where's like, the epicenter of, of alternative spirituality. Most people would say, well, LA or Southern California. And that certainly is true today and has been true for a long time. But back in the early days of this nation, all the radical and alternative religious movements were coming out of central New York State. It was absolutely wild. And that was called the burned over district because it was considered burned over by the fires of the spirit. And this little road, which oh. a lot of Americans traveled to settle out west, that was called the psychic highway. That was used to spread radical religious ideas around the nation. And so much was going on there. It was really mysterious and it was really incredible. Do you think it was just like part of the zeitgeist, like what was happening in New York, like has always just been an epicenter for amazing, wild, creative energy? Or do you think, because I can't help but think that almost like people with space travel, I was thinking this last night when I was um, reading your book. So mm-hmm. bear with me here. I was a little Play stoned, <laughs> but it made sense last night. So... When people came from wherever they came from to the new world, that must have been so exciting and terrifying, exhilarating, mind-blowing, like all of the things, just exploring, right? And it's kind of how I feel like we would feel now going into outer space, like actually making it to Mars or something where you're just exploring and actually reaching a new undiscovered place. And the idea of like getting on a boat and potentially never coming back to everything you've ever known. Yeah. Like, I can't help but think there must be some correlation to finding a land you didn't know existed and also then exploring thoughts that are bigger than yourself. Yeah, I think that's beautifully put. And I think that captures wh- why there was so much radical activity going on in some of these Places which we might look at and say, wow, it was just it was just farmland. You know, why did it produce so many radical ideas? As you were alluding, when people travel to new places or when they settle in new places, they're leaving behind the congregations and the family ties of their childhood. They're leaving behind the churches they belong to. They're leaving behind a lot of family ties. And in central New York State, um, there was a whole wave of new settlement after the uh, War of Independence. The, the, yeah. there, there, there was a Native American tribe, the Seneca Nation, that, that lived in central New York State for centuries. But the Seneca, unfortunately, made a military alliance with the British during the Revolutionary War. And after the war, the colonial government, which had been looking for a pretext to push the Native Americans off that land, used that military alliance as an excuse to push the Native Americans out of central New York State. And the government opened up that land to speculation. And so lots of relatively liberal people from New England flowed into central New York State to start new farms and businesses and so on. And when they entered the place 
it was just this beautiful, rich, fertile farmland. They didn't know anything about the Indian lives that had been extinguished from that soil. They just thought, wow, we're so in some sort of a murdered. new Eden or something. And they left behind their ties back home. So they were like a ripe audience for new religious movements and ideas. And man, did they flow. And that's where you had movements like the Shakers growing up and the Public Universal Friend. And again, you know, new religions, including Mormonism, Seventh-day Adventism, utopian movements, radical political movements. It was all happening there for a couple of generations. That's so wild. I just like I sometimes, I don't know, my mind changes every day, but sometimes I feel like there's reincarnation. And if there was, and I did, in fact, um, live during this time, I just wish I could time travel back there because it would be so fascinating. And I wonder if we're going to do the same thing to the moon, basically. Like, is that the next frontier? I hope we, like, keep it classy at least. <laughs> but... I just like also yeah, listening yeah. to you talk, I realized that there are so many people displaced and all of these spiritual movements happening at the same time, like you said, as Native Americans getting murdered and slavery. And um, again, in your book, I was reading about Frederick Douglass and his relationship to the occult. And I found it really interesting reading about hoodoo. And um, I, again, may butcher yeah. it. So I'd love for you to talk about it because you've studied this a lot more than I have. But I just found it so interesting that Frederick Douglass was involved with the occult and hoodoo, which is really interesting. Yeah, hoodoo is such a fascinating tradition. Uh, that That's a African-American religious and magical tradition. And it's hoodoo with an H. A lot of people confuse it with voodoo, which is a proper Afro-Caribbean religion. But hoodoo is something entirely different. And one of the things I was really shocked to learn when I was writing Occult America is that in all three of his memoirs, Frederick Douglass wrote about an episode where he was at the most desperate place in his life. He was 15 years old, and he was being persecuted by a, a very sadistic, cruel slave owner uh, who just reveled in humiliating and beating the slaves that were that were in his charge. And there was a, a wise man, uh, Douglas identified him as a, a wise African advisor, a wise old medicine man who still understood some of the old ways, who gave Frederick what he described as a magic root. And Frederick said, you know, it's possible that this root helped me stand up to this vicious slave owner and gave me a feeling of individuality and inner worth and sense of inner revolution. He was never sure about it, but he felt it was important to repeat the story, so much so that he repeated it in all three of his memoirs. And I realized from his description that this magic root is a very holy item in hoodoo called John the Conqueror or High John. It's a, it's a root that's native to the American South called Jalap root. And it's said to provide the holder with strength and virility and braveness. And Douglas said he wasn't sure that he ever believed in any of that, but that he couldn't fully discount it. He couldn't fully discount it. And he said it was the most revolutionary episode of his life where he realized that he would be free internally until he could escape slavery and be free as a fact. And within about three years, he did escape slavery. But 
he told the story, he told it with veneration, and it's been written out of our history books because most historians look at this kind of episode and they don't know what's being referred to or they're not really interested in it or they've never heard of Hoodoo. But when I saw Frederick's description, I was immediately struck that this was an episode that was straight out of Hoodoo, this African-American magical tradition. And that's how the occult is at the heart of our history in ways that we very rarely see. And it's so intertwined with so many people and throughout history. Um, it's just crazy how much it's been written out. I guess it just yeah. blows my mind. <laughs> um, like learning about, oh my God, reading about how President Lincoln had seances with his wife mm -hmm. in the White House. I had no idea. Yeah. Like it's that's I that's so interesting and I just like it makes me I don't know I'm just like so fascinated with that and I want to learn more about it because apparently they had lost two children is that right yeah. and they wanted yeah. to try to help deal with the grief and I don't know if it's um basically just a way to deal with grief was to believe that perhaps there's something beyond or there really was a spirit that visited her but it seemed like um, she was helped with her grief through seances. Yeah, and that's a really good observation. And and that's part of the reason why seances were so popular in America so quickly and among so much of the population. Uh, the Link, uh, One of Lincoln's sons, Willie, died at the age of 10 in the White House. And they were just absolutely distraught. And And there was, at that time... Whatever position of society you occupied, whether you were powerful, whether you were an everyday person, there was no grief counseling. You know, people would experience the death of a child or the death of a loved one. And for most people, there wasn't really any mourning period. You know, they would just really have to bury the loved one and go back to work. And when seances... God became popular. Yeah, it's hard to believe. It's hard to conceive of, especially for, I mean, consider like the lives of working women, you know, they would lose children all the time to childhood diseases. And in the world that they lived in, they were very isolated. There were, there was, there was nothing like therapeutic spirituality. There was no way of contending with the grief of it. It was just a matter of burying the child and going back to work. And it was horrible to be reminded of this death. And people just didn't have any way of of coping with this grief, it could consume a person. And Mary Todd Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln's wife, she was no different. You know, she was overcome with grief. And she began to go to the seance table as a way of trying to make contact. And we have records, one that's really reliable because it was in a Boston newspaper, of Lincoln holding seances in the Red Room of the White House. And he and Mary Todd and some invited guests would hold seances. And one of these seances uh, was observed by a reporter from the Boston Whoa. Gazette. Oh, my God. Yeah. Crazy. And so it's an absolute fact. And, you know, some historians have wondered why in the world would Abe Lincoln invite a reporter from the Boston Gazette to be present at a seance? Wouldn't he be embarrassed? Wouldn't he think it would make him look strange? And the truth is, you know, back in the, the mid-1900s, um, or rather, sorry, the mid-1800s, for a lot of people, seances were not a matter of embarrassment. They didn't feel like they had to conceal their interest in these things. For some people, it was a matter of deep personal 
spiritual interest. For others, and this was probably true of Lincoln, it was more of a novelty. You know, it was just something to try out. And I think Lincoln allowed a reporter to be present because this was during the Civil War. And he wanted people to see that he was not overly encumbered by wartime command, that during the Civil War, the chief could kind of kick back and just try a little experiment, try a little novelty that lots of other people in America were into in the North and in the South. And in fact, the story was picked up by various newspapers, including newspapers in the Confederacy, including a couple of newspapers in Georgia. And it had the effect that he wanted it to have, which was showing people, hey, you know, I'm just like you. I'm just like you. I can kick back and I can try this little experiment. I'm not so overburdened by wartime command that I'm not doing other things. So it served kind of a propaganda purpose for him. It was a different time in our national life. But, you know, you could do things like that. I also wonder if there was therapy back then, because if there wasn't, I'd be doing a fucking seance every right. like every morning for real <laughs> because for if real. it helps you cope with right life then i would sign me up i am kind of surprised that there aren't more seances now yeah it's interesting nowadays you don't see too many of the old-fashioned victorian seances where people are joining hands in a darkened parlor and you know you're hearing bangs and raps but today we think less in terms of seances than we do in terms of psychics and channeling, mediums, intuition. So the same stuff is still going on. You know, we're still reaching out to the invisible world. We're still asking, can we make contact with something beyond ourselves? But we call it by different names, which is very often what happens. You know, we, we discard the outer wrapping or we discard the old vocabulary, but we're still doing it. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. 
Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Okay, what is table wrapping? Now, in my mind, it was a bunch of people wrapping at each other over a table, which I think probably is not what it is. Well, back in the early <laughs> back in the <laughs> early days of seances, uh, going back to the say the eighteen forties, um, the earliest seances involved people hearing bangs and raps and noises and claiming that they could work out systems of communication with the spirit world, and that's what eventually gave birth to the Ouija board. Actually, Americans were trying to figure out ways that they could contact the spirit world without any intermediary, without any middleman. You know, it was this kind of do-it-yourself spirit. And so they wanted to figure out methods of communication. So they would try to work out formulas where there would be bangs and raps or noises or something like that around the seance table. So that's that's what we mean by spirit raps. Okay. So it's not a spirit like rapping at people. Not back then. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do when I'm dead. It's <laughs> 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 my plan. <laughs> um, anyways, do you think that like because of COVID and quarantine and all everything we've just gone through as the world and America, that there's going to be like a new wave of spiritualism? Oh, yeah, I really do. I really do. And it's funny. I swear, Kesha, if you had asked me that question five years ago, I probably would have said, no, you know, the occult is an evergreen. It's always been with us. I, and I feel differently today. I feel differently today because I think there's things happening right now in our generation that are opening up questions like the ones you and I have been going over, like nothing we've ever seen. I mean, look at what's going on in the UFO world, for example. I mean, UFOs I was going to go into that. Oh, my God. I'm so happy you brought that up. Yeah. Go. Like, I mean, we we have these cockpit video recordings uh, that the Navy took of, of UFOs. And these things have been floating around for a while, but very, very recently the military validated these things as real. And this is engineered phenomena. This is artificial phenomena. This isn't natural phenomena. This isn't somebody making a mistake. This isn't somebody imagining things. You know, these cockpit videos are concrete evidence, among others, among others, that there's some sort of engineered phenomena out there that we don't understand. And once you crack open that door, now that the UFO thesis has gone mainstream, I mean, no serious person says, oh, you know, it's swamp gas, or I don't believe in little green men, or it's delusional, whatever. You know, that's not a serious idea anymore. Everybody acknowledges, okay, whatever they are, there's something called UFOs, and they're out there, and they're engineered. We don't know what they are, but yes. but this is this is plain. This is plain as it comes. Once that happens, now that we've kind of crossed that threshold, it starts opening up all kinds of different ideas. Ideas about extraterrestrial life, ideas about there being water on the moon and Venus and possible microbial life on Mars and 
suddenly things start to sound very different than they did when I was growing up as a kid. When I was a little kid, if you talked about the idea of there being microbial life on Mars, you know, you would get sent to take a special test somewhere. You know, I would get sent to sit in the principal's office. You know, today this is being studied. This is being talked about. This is real. And it opens yes. up the door to all kinds of questions. So questions of a world that exists, a life that exists outside of just ordinary flesh and bone, ordinary cognition, the ordinary senses, these things are facts. And once you open that door, it opens us up into all kinds of directions. It's like a wheel with many different spokes. So that there's an occult revival coming, there's no question in my mind, and we need it because we've all been so lonely and we've all been so isolated and people have suffered during this lockdown and they're desperate for contact, not only with other people, but with a larger sense of themselves. Yes, and purpose and the idea that there is something out there, whether it's UFOs, like I'm obsessed with space and UFOs and aliens. Like I have been since I was a little kid mm -hmm. and finally now all of a sudden it's like not taboo to talk about. And on yes, my podcast, right. Demi Lovato is talking about how she's contacting aliens and nobody seems to care. And then it's I, on the New York times. And then it's also yes. on like the daily mail. So it's on all the different kinds of news outlets. And everyone's just acting real chill about this, yes. which I find very weird. It's fascinating. You know, it's funny. In 2019, uh, there was a panel at the Guggenheim Museum here in New York City, where I am, about UFOs. And the Guggenheim is not actually, you know, known as this fount of occult passion. And they're having a panel on UFOs. And the curator came up to me and he said, look, let me ask you a question. He said, at what point do you think it's going to become unacceptable? At what point do you think it's going to become embarrassing for someone to say, oh, the whole UFO thing, that's all nonsense. And I said, you know, we're living through that point right now in the here and now. Like everything you were just saying testifies to that. You can't just say nowadays, oh, the whole UFO thing, it's all just delusion. It's all imaginary, whatever. No serious person feels that way. And that's different. That's different from where we were five years ago. So things are shifting. And I'm not given to saying that easily, but things really are shifting. I think so too. I feel it. And I also feel like, because my mom and I and my best friend, we're all like obsessed with UFOs and aliens. And we have been for a very, very long time. So it's all very exciting. Yeah. Um, and it feels like almost like this reckoning, right? on every level is happening. And we just like revel in the idea that something we've been obsessed with and fascinated with and really believed in for so long is finally becoming a normal topic of conversation. But we also were saying that it must be challenging for some people, especially if you're a very religious person, to not be able to fully have everything contained into one book or one idea. I feel like once hopefully there is contact made in my lifetime or just more information about extraterrestrial life and UFOs, I feel like it's really going to blow people's idea of what is like it's going to blow it up. 
But yeah. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a good thing. But I think the illusion is going to be, um, it's just our minds are going to get blown. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. You know, and we as human beings, we love to debate things back and forth. And people use all kinds of sarcastic language online all the time. You know, every third social media post is insulting somebody. But the yeah, thing totally. is, yeah, all it takes is one is one incident, is one incident. And then all the arguments and all the friction and all the back and forth, it's just gone. It's just gone like it doesn't exist. You know, it's like the Wright brothers flying their first airplane. You know, the question of whether humanity could fly is settled. And we forget that it was ever controversial. And, you know, we have such overwhelming evidence of UFOs. And I would argue as well that we have such overwhelming evidence of ESP, for example, that we're going to reach a point where that evidence is just going to be so persuasive that we're going to forget how controversial this this once was you know and and those controversies when they pass they get forgotten however hot they are in the moment and i think that's actually what's happening in our generation that's so crazy you're so right like the aliens are going to come and we're going to be like what are you talking about this is so normal Right. I always and believe not- this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I've been talking about this and I had no friends in middle school because I was talking about aliens and spaceships. And then we're all just going to be like hanging out with them, hopefully. Hopefully they're nice. I have a good feeling about and it. And your friends in middle school will remember agreeing with you, even though they didn't. They'll be like, oh, yes, yeah, yeah. T- I was down totally with that. Are. Right? <laughs> no, right. they were such mean ladies. No, yeah. they were mean. I'm going to call them out once the aliens come. So they better hurry up. <laughs> they will, okay, they will deny. Like, yeah, they'll deny ever arguing with will. you. They'll be like, oh, no, I, I totally agreed with you. Yeah, I was there for you. Right? <laughs> no, that's like one of the many reasons I had no friends in middle school. So, no. <laughs> but... um. What was I going to ask you? Okay, I have a couple like stupid, quick, fiery kind of questions if you're Please. into Please. Okay. Absolutely. What is your... Okay, do you want to start a conspiracy theory? And if you would like to, now is your chance. So take it away. Well, dig this. <laughs> I don't I don't I don't start conspiracy theories that run down anybody, you know, I don't I don't start conspiracy theories that make enemies of anybody, but I will say this, um there is a kind of intellectual conspiracy theory that is like a fog and a smog in our culture, and that is that we don't have evidence of some of this stuff and people are so desperate to hang on to the world view that they're currently in that if I could present people, and I can, with plain statistical evidence, for example, for ESP or psychical activity or whatever you want to call it, I present that evidence to people over and over and over. And I'm still told there is no evidence. It doesn't exist. And it's like a conspiracy theory that we work against ourselves because we're so desperate to hang on to the world that we once knew that we deny what's there, even if it's presented to us as plain as can be. So we are our own kind of conspirators. You know, there's a, a, a conspiracy theory that we've worked against ourselves where we don't want to look at real evidence because it upsets what we want to believe. It's so true. It's so true because change is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. So if we can 
if we can all just like pretend like everything's fine and it's just going to stay right here, I feel like it's more comfortable, but that's not how life works. Yeah. So you keep talking about ESP and there being proof. Do you want to like, because I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, sure. You know, since going back to the 1930s, we've had solid juried clinical experiments, academic laboratory-based experiments that demonstrate over and over and over again that certain people are able to pass information back and forth between one another or to receive information in ways that go beyond the ordinary senses, either using pictures or using cards or using just uh, 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 the ability to uh, repeat patterns of numbers or other things where there shouldn't be any patterns at all. And this statistical evidence is so overwhelming and so powerful and has been written about in mainstream journals, jury journals, and it's there and it's plain as day. And once you acknowledge it, basically you've acknowledged the supernatural. You know, you've said, yes, there is a world out there that goes beyond flesh and bone. And people, there are critics who are so desperate not to acknowledge that because I guess they're afraid that it's going to unleash all this irrationality. And how could learning about reality unleash irrationality? You know, how can knowing more and more of what's going on be irrational? But that's their fear, and I understand where they're coming from, and it's really hard to debate with them because they are so fearful of acknowledging the existence of a bigger world that they will play kill the messenger, basically. And I don't mind. Mm. You know, I put myself out there for that. That's the job I signed up for. And it is okay. But there's enough people listening so that eventually this information is going to be accepted, just like the UFO information is accepted. So that's where I'm coming from when it comes to ESP research. That's so interesting. I'm going to look into that more because I feel like I definitely get messages. Like, I feel like a little bit telepathic sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. I can totally read the mind of my cat. Uh-huh. <laughs> and people, and people, but mostly my cat. I spent the most time with him over the past year and a half. So, that's the main person I'm communicating with is my cat at the moment. Well, an emotional <laughs> bond means a lot, you know? I mean, <laughs> emotional bonds really matter. <laughs> But yeah, there are just some people where I can just tell what they're thinking sometimes. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I can also, I'll also have moments where I just know something has happened before it's happened. I don't know. That's not ESP. I don't know what that is. A a lot of people feel that way. You know, I mean, it's funny. You talk to people from all different walks of life in this country. We're all so divided, but yet you start to get into experiences like this and suddenly the divisions disappear. Like you'll have all kinds of people from all different backgrounds, political outlooks saying, yeah, I dig that. It's happened to me. That's happened to me. It does unite us. Yeah, I think so too. And maybe we're like scared of that deep down because then if you take away all the drama and we're all united and just like having a good time, we're going to be bored. Yeah, that's a serious truth. I mean, I think we human beings, we say we want peace, but we actually really dig friction and arguing and violence. And it's a it's a very ugly aspect of human nature. I think you're right. I know. Well, I don't know how to fix that. So if either. you ever can figure out how to fix it, just give me a call back. <laughs> okay, <laughs> deal. <laughs> and, but I do think there is like something inside of us that loves the drama of drama. Oh, for real? Like For real? Yeah. And it keeps us in this like cycle of violence and pain and war and drama. Oh, but, I think there's no question. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't figured out like how to not um, 
do that. But I am first, the first step is recognizing the pattern. Without question. I used to, there's a spiritual teacher I love who used to say, either you're spiritually creative or you're a troublemaker. You're either spiritually creative or you're a troublemaker. So like getting in touch with the larger, I think may take us to a healthier place so that we're not spending all this time just fulminating against one another or being sarcastic on social media, which takes up way too much of our culture's time. Oh my God. I wonder what we could all do with all the time spent comparing yourself to others, talking shit about others, talking shit about yourself, and like being the victim or the villain in a story. If you just let be what is, like what would we be capable of? I wonder. Amazing. Yeah. You know, often people say to me, give me like one spiritual exercise that'll make me happier. Give me one spiritual exercise that'll make me more powerful. And they always expect I'm going to say meditation or this or that. The thing I always say is stop gossiping. If you stop gossiping and you stop running down other people, you will stand taller. You will be happier. You will be more powerful. Try it for just one hour and see what happens. It's incredible. We just give away our lives to this hostility. I agree. Well, I'm going to try not to do that anymore. (laughs) You're inspiring me. I'm going to make a pact. No gossiping, everybody. One hour. (laughs) One hour. That's all it takes. One hour. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Pleasure. Okay. Thank you to everybody who's listening. And thank you so much. This is Mitch Horowitz. And you should check out his book, Occult America. Amongst many other books. And is there anything else you want to plug or like throw light onto that you've been doing? Well, uh, I'm working on a new book called Uncertain Places, which I'm very excited about. It covers a lot of the topics that we've been dealing with. And uh, people can visit me at MitchHorowitz.com. There's lots of lectures and stuff there. And um, I just thank you so much. I'm so glad you're doing the show. You're giving space to so many important topics. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you for everybody for listening. Keep on creeping on. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. 
I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network.